Amen. Thanks, Allison. Um, that's true. The heart of worship and worshiping our King, and that's what one of the things that we're going to talk about today. If we haven't met before, my name's Rob, and uh, I'm glad you're here. And uh, I was thinking about today. I'm a father. I really enjoyed my syrup, like drenched in chocolate syrup, buttered flavored waffle this morning um, that I ate with joy. Uh, but no tomatoes. Right, right. Yes. So, um, so that had nothing to do with my sermon. I just thought I'd share my breakfast with you this morning. Um, but as we start today, I was thinking about uh, how, how, to, how do we begin this family series and yet at the same time realizing with fear and trepidation I walk into this series on family because I um, am a father of young children and I'm quickly realizing how little I know. Um, I thought that I was this amazing parent before I had children. Um, and now my parents have become so smart um, and, and I've, I've been fighting with um, feelings of, uh, of uh, just question and uh, can I really do this? And, and somebody wise just spoke into me and said, Rob, you just share the word of God. It's timeless. And people that are older than you and people that are younger than you and people in different stages, they'll, they'll learn from God's word. And so that's what I'm really excited to talk about today. But uh, to start, I, uh, I'm reminded of my first F in school. And I know, uh, I, I didn't have very many, uh, but this was my first one. It was in fourth grade, uh, and it was dealing with the family tree. And uh, I got this assignment from my teacher, Mrs. Seeley, I remember it, and I got this piece of paper that had an inverted pyramid, and you had to start with you and put down your parents, mother and father, and then um, your grandparents, maternal and paternal, and then great-grandparents, maternal and paternal, and then great-great-grandparents, and then great-great-great-parents. So five levels. And I, I, I got the first two right. Um, I got me right, I got my parents right, and then I got my grandparents, and then when I got to my great-grandparents, I filled in one, and then I was stuck. So I went to my parents, I'm like, can you please help me? And they filled in about three more, and then after that, they're like, yeah, we don't know. And I said, this is really important, because I was kind of, you do what you're told, people. So I said, I need to fill this out. I have to get this right. This is really important. I won't know who I am if I don't, if I don't have some help with this. I could be completely lost. And they're like, well, you're a mutt. We don't really know. Um, and my dad said, why don't you just write that down? And so I'm like, okay. So I, I'm, I'm not making a joke. I really did write that down. And, uh, and I brought it in and I failed my assignment. And I was a little bit sad about that. And I wasn't so much sad because I failed, although I kind of was. But I was really sad because because I kind of felt lost. I felt like I didn't really know where I came from, and I thought that if I didn't know where I came from, I wouldn't know who I was. And if I didn't know who I was, I might not be sure where I was going in life. And we don't have to look very far to think that's a true statement. I mean, if you look at uh, people like Paris Hilton or Kim Kardashian, um, why are they rich and famous? Is it not because they come from families that are rich and famous? If we look at the Kennedy family and we look at, oh, almost all of them are either in the spotlight or in politics. Um, if we go kind of more globally 
And we look at the, the country of India, for example. I was sitting and having lunch with uh, a friend who spent much of the year in India, and she was talking about the caste system. And the caste system basically puts people into slots. You have the very high society people, and then you have a middle society people, and then you have a lower society people, and then there's about three levels until you get to the untouchables. And, and although the caste system is now illegal in India... Um, they still have this thing called the Jetai, and the Jetai means thus born. And it refers to communities, to tribes, to subcommunities, and to families. And basically, you are thus born into a Jetai. So even though they don't have the caste system anymore, or legally, they still have this Jetai, and whatever Jetai you are born into, that's the Jetai that you have to stay in. You can only move so far up and down. It determines your worth. It determines what you do. It determines who you'll marry. It determines where you'll go in life, how far up in society you can move, and to some extent, how much money you can make and who you can be friends with. And so this is just permeating all over India, this Jetai. And it really would reinforce this idea that where you come from determines where you'll go. Uh, and, you know, as a pastor, one of my favorite parts of my job is to get to hear people's story. And when I say story, I just mean like their life narrative. It's filled with an introduction, which is usually into a family. It's filled with chapters of a beginning, which is filled with a home. It's filled with school. Um, it's filled with friends. It's usually filled with some aspect of a faith. Um, and so that's their, their narrative, their story. And, and I was talking to this friend, and I said, you know, I got to ask, how are you spiritually? How's your relationship with God? And this person paused and like looked at me and then kind of looked past me and then looked at me again and um, didn't cry, but just said, you know, Rob, my story and my relationship with God cannot be separated from the day that my dad left us. And there are chapters and years of my life that fill a roller coaster relationship with God right alongside this roller coaster relationship with my dad. From joy to question to anger to bitterness to abandonment to questioning to uh, uh, grasping for God and a grasping for a relationship with my dad back to an anger back to a bitterness, and it was just so painful, and just reminded me so much the challenge that we face as, as parents that we face as, if you're a father, if you're a stepfather, if you're a, a godfather, if you're an uncle, if you're a grandparent, this challenge that we have this responsibility, really, and, and this, um, that it makes such a difference this community, because it goes beyond family, because the community that we come from really can influence who we are. You know, when we start out, psychologists say, I know, I'm going to try and draw again. If you were here a couple weeks ago, it was a little sketchy, but um, emphasis on the sketchy, but now I have more colors, so maybe that'll help. Um, Psychologists say that when we start out, we come from, usually, we come from a mom and a dad, and our identity, we'll just call it me, is kind of formed from them. We derive who we are basically from them. And then if they influence that with a relationship with God, then that possibly enters the mix. And then we have possibly siblings 
and then we have possibly friends, and depending on how close or how far your family is apart, depends on if this is actually true, or if, um, because your family's pretty distant, you're in the middle, and then you have, basically, you have a group of, um, we'll just call it friends, that form that identity. That was the case. Um, well, I had a lot of this, but I really thought that who my friends were really formed my identity. And when my friends left, I felt very lost. And I felt like um, my worth had somehow diminished. And so as we look at this idea of, of where we come from determines possibly where we go. That's the big question as we start this series on family. Does where I come from determine where I'll go? And, and do my family roots, as you look at that tree, really matter? And to answer that question, um, I think the best place to go is to Matthew chapter 1. And so if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to it. Um, I brought my big one today, um, not to show off just because I had some notes in it. And so um, as you turn there, uh, I just want to pray for us and uh, give us some background information on Matthew. So um, let's pray. Father God, as we go into your word um, today to look at what the story that you um, inspired, that you um, worked through to write, this story of how you came to us, that you asked to be our Father, that you invited us into a relationship with you, and that um, throughout so much of this book, people misinterpreted that um, and thought that was a place of privilege um, to hold on to, much like uh, our friends in India, not a place to give away. I pray that um, the things that, that are obstacles in our life, especially those of us who've just had hard, hard relationships with our dads or with our families. God, that you would begin to peel back the layers, that you would use your word to speak to us today. So teach us what it said then and teach us what it says to us today. Um, Give us open minds and open hearts and open eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at Matthew chapter 1, we need to remember that Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, okay? If you're Jewish, then he's writing to you, but if you're like me and just look Jewish, but not really Jewish, it still can speak, I get that a lot, it still can speak to us, but Matthew was writing to a select group of people, and these were people that were Jews, and these Jews were kind of like this about Jesus, you know, we don't really think that Jesus is the actual completion of the Jewish faith. We don't really think that this way of Jesus is, is true. We think it's more like, um, like a cult. We think the expression of following Jesus is really a dangerous sect or dissension from the departing of what it means to really know and follow God. And so the Jews were like this. And so Matthew's writing to kind of get them to stop going like this and just consider that maybe the way of Jesus is actually the expression, the fullness, the completion of a true faith. And so that's his goal. And in that, not only do we find the beginning of that answer, but we also, I think, find the answer to this question, does my family matter? Do the roots, do where I come from determine where I'll go? And so when we start, we see this, we see this phrase, and this first phrase is going to be on uh, uh, the screen here, uh, but not all of it, and you'll see why in a second. So let's just start in verse 1. It says, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
So he's doing some very specific things here, because if we were to read, uh, Matthew wrote this in Greek, if we were to read it in Greek, it would say um, the scroll of the Genesis. It would say like the Biblios, uh, the writing of the beginning. Okay, that's really huge. Really huge because at the very beginning, very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, we see this is the beginning. In the beginning, in the Genesis, there was the heavens. Um, and at the end of the creation story, Genesis 2-4, then we see this is the summation, and he says this is the record, the genealogy of the creation of the heavens and the earth. And so Matthew is saying this is a new beginning. This is a new Genesis. This is a new creation, and this is a new order. The things that were, they were good, but we're coming to something different, something new, and I would say something better. Okay? If we don't come back to that, you just tell me. All right. Um, Now, he says the son of David, the son of Abraham. If you know your genealogy of Jesus, he came from, well, the Holy Spirit, but had a father, an earthly father named Joseph, and a mother named Mary. And so it says the son of David, which really means the ancestor of David and the ancestor of Abraham. But also, you'll see that that David is much later than Abraham. So why is David first? There's a significance to that, um, that David's name comes before Abraham because David was this king. Um, and then Abraham, these are, the two, these are the two most important, most important people for the Jewish faith. Now you might say, if you know your Bible, what about Moses? Isn't Moses important? Like, Moses was the guy who kind of, like, well, he didn't start it all, but he was the one who got the covenant, got the commandments. I mean, he was the real, he brought the people out of Egypt. That was a big deal. You're right. It was a big deal. But that promise, agreement, covenant was conditional. When Moses went up on the mountain with God, he got these tablets, and it was this agreement. You guys do this, I'll do this. If you do this, then I'll do this. Conditional. Abraham, he receives an unconditional covenant, and David also receives an unconditional covenant. So if you go to Genesis chapter 12, it's going to be on the screen, so if you don't want to turn there because you want to stay in Matthew 1, just write it down if you're a note person. This is the first unconditional covenant. If you're taking notes, Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, and Genesis chapter 22 elaborate on this promise that God gave to Abraham unconditionally. Abraham didn't deserve it. Abraham wasn't all that great of a guy. He worshiped foreign gods. He wasn't a follower of God, and God still chose him. And he says, leave your roots. Go from your country, go from your people, go from your families. Leave what you know Leave where you came from and go to this land I'm going to show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And all the nations and peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. No condition there. Nothing. God was going to do this out of his love, out of his plan. And so he does. And then... He highlights David because David was the second kind of unconditional covenant. There's only really these two. Um, Abraham got this one, and then David got in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 and 16, 
God promises to this king, David, um, this unconditional thing. He says, when your days are over and you die, rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring and offspring of you to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. I will establish his kingdom. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This was an unconditional promise. And so the Jews, they totally got this. They gravitated towards this. And so right away in the first sentence, David, uh, Matthew, this writer, is making a big claim. It's a new beginning, and it comes from Jesus, who comes from David and Abraham. All the Jews would have been like, what's up? Okay, I'm listening. And so then he goes into, now go ahead, look, it's long. Verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, which by the way was not the firstborn, because that's a really big deal, but Judah's actually number three. So Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. If you like to write in your Bible, circle Tamar, because normally women aren't included in these records of genealogy. Okay, that's important. All right, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of uh, Nashon, Nashon, the father of Solomon, Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. So Rahab and Solomon were married, so circle Rahab because that's another woman's name and it's important why she's in there. We'll come back, I promise. Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, whose mother was Ruth. So Ruth and Boaz were married. Ruth, circle Ruth, big deal. And Ruth um, was uh, Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. Or maybe your translation says David the king. And I hope you have a Bible that has like a break there. Yes? If you don't, sorry, you missed out. One of mine does, one of it doesn't. But there's a reason that there's a break there. Because remember what, what Matthew said at the beginning? Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's making the brackets. He's saying these are really important things. And then he does it again. He makes this bracket. Abraham to King David. Okay? This is huge because what happens here is God made these promises to Abraham. I will bless you and I will make your name great. I will make you into a great nation. And guess what? Right there, through this list of names... God has said, I'm fulfilling my promises. It started with Abraham, and then it goes to King David. And David was like the pinnacle. This is when David was like the the kind of protege or prototype to the Messiah. When David sat on his throne as the king of Israel, there was peace in all the land. I mean, people were like, this is it. This is awesome. We're like this awesome amazing nation. We love it. Like, God, you have blessed us. Yeah. And, and then, oh, they kind of forgot about the Abrahamic covenant, which is like, not only are these people blessed to make their name great, to make God's name great, but to be a blessing to everyone else. And they kind of forgot about that part. They just kind of focused on themselves. And they're like, look at us. We're blessed. We're amazing. It's awesome. And they kind of stopped following what God wanted them to do. So the, the story, the words continue here. David was the father of Sol- Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Maybe your translation says Bathsheba, but circle Uriah's wife or Bathsheba because that's another woman in the story. Um, 
Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah, Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. If you're taking notes and like to write in your Bible, circle exile to Babylon. Because up until this point, from King David, okay, from Abraham to King David, it was like, this is where the promise is going to come through. If you like to reference stuff, Genesis 49.10 is when um, Abraham has a son Jacob, Jacob has a son Isaac. No, Abraham has a son Isaac, Isaac has a son Jacob. Jacob becomes Israel, and then he has 12 sons. And at his death, he promises this blessing to Judah, his third son, that says, the kings will come from you. And so they remember that. And so all through this line of people in the first bracket from Abraham to King David, it was like, this is where the king's going to come. The king's going to come from here. The king's going to come from here. Look, the king came from King David. And it lasted like one generation. And then after Solomon, then um, Rehoboam did something that I think was stupid. Um, and the kingdom split. And so now we have a kingdom of Israel and a kingdom of Judah. They're both Israel, but now it's just like fighting. And now there's good kings and bad kings and a, a lot of bad kings and a couple good kings. And so in this list that we just read, if you don't know any of those names, know that they're all kings and most of them were bad. In fact, Matthew kind of squishes the list. There was more than this, but he's like, for the theological purpose I'm writing for, I'm just going to go with that. So he squishes it down, and he says, now, here's what happened. We went into exile. And this is bad. This is, if, if from David, from Abraham to King David, it was like the pinnacle. Now from David to the exile, now people are like, what's going on? I mean, this doesn't make any sense because God promised to make us this great nation, that we'd be this blessing, and then he promises that there would be someone from the line of David, from the family of David on the throne forever, and now we don't even have a king, now we don't even have a nation, like these people came in and destroyed us. And so all throughout kind of the rest of the Old Testament, these people are like, oh God, what happened? And then prophets would come in and be like, dude, you didn't get it, you sinned. You didn't follow God, and God said that we were supposed to be the source of blessing, and you kind of took it all for yourself, and now the reason that you're in this place is because you sinned, and you need to repent. You need to turn back to God and say, I'm sorry, and then God will still send the Messiah. He will still send the Deliverer. He will still send the Christ, and this Christ will bring these people out of exile, and so all through now we're going to go through a list that you probably have never heard of before, but all through that list, that's what they're thinking is I just, I just don't get this. Um, because, but they kept track. They kept track of who the king would be because they knew someday he would come. So they kept track of this line, which is why even though this last list is a bunch of really hard names to pronounce, it's important. So I'm going to go through it. Verse 12. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel. If you've heard some Sunday school stories, you'll remember Zerubbabel, he helped come rebuild the rubble of the temple. He was the governor. 
because they couldn't have kings. If they could have had kings, then he probably would have been king because he came from the kingly line. All of these people that I'm about to list came from that kingly line and people were just waiting. Like one day, one day, one day we're going to get him on the throne. I'm super, like I was really, I'm jazzed about this. So Zerubbabel, the father of Abayud, Abayud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zodok, Zodok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eliezer, Eliezer, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, who's the husband of Mary, circle Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. It's like, if there couldn't be a better finale, da ching that is it. And so then, in case you missed it, he says thus, there were 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. What is he saying? He's going from David, from Abraham, to David, to the Christ. And this Christ is going to lead them out. Like, if, if, if there's a new exile that these people had been waiting and wanting to get released from, and they kept track of these names and names and names and names, and remember, um, in, well, if you didn't remember, there was no king in Israel. There was these oppressors, first Assyria, then Babylon, then uh, Persia, and then the Greeks took over, and then the Romans took over. And during the time that the Romans took over, these people called the Hasmoneans and then the Herodians were in power. So remember when Jesus was born, and you maybe heard the story of King, Dave, King Herod? Mm-hmm. King Herod, nasty man. Okay? He is not Jewish, not fully Jewish. He has no royal blood. He was basically a military oppor- opportunist that fought, bought, and bribed his way into power and then calls himself the king of the Jews. And so for 150 or 200 years, the people that were like thought they were really Jews, that thought they were true Israel, were like, this guy is not our king. This guy is not our king. These people are not our king. They're not the true Messiah. And, and we know, we, we kept track of the names. And so if you were to say that you were from the line of David, it was making a political statement that you could be the rightful king and then Herod would take you out or put you in jail. I mean, he was ruthless. He took his own family out. He would certainly take anyone out like that. So that's the kind of tension that these people lived in. Um, and, and now, when you think about that, what is, what is Matthew saying? Abraham to King David, King David to the exile, exile to Christ. He's saying Christ is going to free us. He is the legitimate king of the Jews that's going to free us from exile, but it's not a political exile. It's not a military revolution that's going to take us out of exile. It's a spiritual revolution that's going to bring us out of exile. Because you people, and he says it with love, but he just says it honestly, like, you guys missed it. You're in sin. Abraham's promise was to make you great, to pass it on, and you missed it. You didn't pass it on to anyone. You just, like, kept it for yourselves. And now Jesus is the true Messiah and his, because of who he was and where he came from, ultimately God, but for the Jews, they needed to have that legitimate line. It's going to determine where he goes. But it's not going to be to power to take over and say, yep, I'm the new David and I'm now taken over and there will be peace in the land through military oppression. 
He's saying, where I'm going is the cross. And the cross is going to free us from the exile, from the bondage, from the jail of sin in our lives. And, and Jesus is the one, the legitimate one who can do that. That's what Matthew is saying at the beginning of this. Oh, it's good. Really fulfill the Abrahamic covenant that God said unconditionally, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to bless you to bless others. And so when we think about, when we come back to 2011 and go, gosh, that's a long list of names, Rob. How are you going to like, whoop? Um, couple things. If we look at 2011 and we think about the people in our lives who have bribed and bought and fought their way into power and now they're in our life and we really don't like it, what is our response to them? Do we become zealots or rebels or revolutionists and try and fight back? Because that's what happened during the time of Jesus. These people tried to fight to oust Herod from power and they were usually killed or jailed. If we think about our own lives and think about our response to that, would we like to be more like that of this violent response or would we like to be people that could actually do the Christ response of putting their hope and their trust in Jesus, the legitimate Messiah, the true Savior, who will bring us out of that oppression, but probably not the way that we think he will. So what does it mean to put our trust in him? Well, remember at the very beginning when I said a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, when really it should be the other way around. You have to say Jesus Christ, the son of David. We have to say that because what we're saying when we do that is we're saying, Jesus, you're king in my life. And we can't really truly receive the blessing, Abraham, if we don't say, Jesus, you're king. You're the son of David first, you're king in my life first, and now I can receive your blessing. If we, if we miss that and we just try to go to the blessings, we really, really won't find fulfillment. It's like how somebody told me, um, when those are wrong, how somebody told me, you know, it's not your parents that ultimately give you their identity. It's, it's really... God, who gives you your identity. And so for a number of years, a number of years, I thought, if I just had God in my life, that would, be, that would work. That would be enough. So it's me and God, me and God, me and God, and everything else kind of flows from that. Um, and I can kind of order that. The only problem was, what I did was really, I said, I'm here and um, friends are really important to me. They're over here. Sometimes I go into that box. Family's important to me most of the time, except when my sister's mean to me. So that goes, and I'll, I'll go into that box. Um, school is really important to me. So sometimes I'll go there. Um, sports were important to me. So sometimes I'll go over there. Uh, relationships, preferably with a cute girl, we're over there, so I'm just being honest. And, and oh, church is important, God's important, so God's over there. God became a locker or a subject in my life, a bookshelf in my life, and I would take him out when I needed him because it was me and God. That's the identity that I thought was, and that would determine who I was. Oh, I'm with God, so that's going to determine who, where I go. And it, it sounds really close, really close, except it's, it's wrong. Um, 
Because, because when we say, when we look at that new beginning, the record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, we're saying David's king. And in order for him to be king, we have to submit or we have to come under the king. He's king. So instead of me and God, first, ultimately, it's Christ is Lord of my life. He's king of my life. This is why I'm a pastor and not an artist. It's the cross first, and then I am still me. I'm still funny. I'm still awkward. I still make situations weird. Um, I dance funny. But Christ is king. And now, with him as the son of David, the king of my life, everything else can make sense. So as we start this series on family, it doesn't make sense unless Christ is king and you put Christ at the Lord of your life and then everything comes from that. And so each week, more or less, we'll take these idea of concentric circles, not this. That's compartmentalization and we just become split, fragmented, and, and disfigured. It doesn't work. But when we can do this, we become whole beings, we become authentic beings. We, we don't live these separated, fragmented lives. We live this whole integrated life of authentic faith as Jesus is king. And then the blessings can flow from there. And we'll talk about what the, maybe the right order of these things is as we continue in this family series. So a couple more questions for you. Because maybe you come from power, you come from influence, you come from places of privilege, and you think, you know what? That is really hard because I have power, influence, privilege, and all of the such. Well, you look at David, you look at Jesus' line. I think he came from some power and some privilege and some wealth. A lot of times we go to the fact that he, is, he came for the weak, that he's accessible to all people, that he came for the sick and the sinner, and that's true. But he also came as the king of kings. So if you're a person that sometimes like me, that sometimes likes power and sometimes likes influence and has a hard time giving that up, know that Jesus is powerful enough to take that. And he wants to take it. And he'll gladly wait for you to try it on your own. But ultimately, he still needs to be king, even if you come from power. Now, maybe you don't come from power. Maybe you don't come from privilege or influence. Or those words are completely completely foreign to you. Maybe you come from a place that's pretty messed up. Maybe your family tree doesn't even look like a tree. It's just a scattering of branches everywhere because it was so messed up. And I'm not being funny. Maybe that's really true. Um, uh, I, I have a couple like 20 and 30 year olds-ish friends in the last few months that are like, I found out I had a different dad. Like I was, I mean last week somebody told me that. I'm like, whoa, for 30 years you've lived this experience and now you have this new thing. It's all too common that we come from messed up families. But Jesus' family tree isn't perfect. Remember all those things I told you to circle? Those names? Tamar? Tamar had a bad father-in-law. Judah was her father-in-law. Judah had three sons. She married the first son. The first son died, didn't give her any kids. And so in that society, when you were a widow, the next brother had to marry you. Well, he was evil, so he died too. And now Tamar's left alone. And Judah says, you know, my boy, my third, he's like 10. We don't know how old, but he's too young to marry you. 
So you just wait a few years. You know, why don't you go live with your parents? Go live with your mom and dad, and then when he's old enough, I'll send for you. Guess what? He never sent. And so she's like, uh-huh, come on, I'm a widow, I'm alone, I'm also not an Israelite, so I can't have any right to this, I'm a foreigner. So what does she do? Well, Judah happens to be shearing sheep, and it's been a few years, and maybe he has a little too much wine, and then Tamar dresses up in a little bit of a provocative outfit, she's a little bit inappropriate, and then they do a few inappropriate things, and all of a sudden Tamar becomes pregnant, and Judah's like, what? My, my daughter-in-law, she got pregnant, I'm going to have her like rocks thrown at her. And she was wise enough to go, oh, well, here's the robe and the scepter and the ring from the man who did this. And Judah's like, oh my gosh, I'm totally stuck. (laughs) There's kids in the room. And Jesus comes from that. Rahab, if you were with us when we went through Joshua, Rahab was a harlot in Jericho, and she was, not a fo- she was a foreigner as well, and she helped the spies, and the spies came, and God gave them the city, and only Rahab and her family were the ones that were allowed to live. And Rahab became a part of the Jewish faith, and Rahab became a descendant of Jesus, and Rahab had a pretty checkered past. Bathsheba, we shouldn't put all the blame on Bathsheba because she was just bathing which happened to be on the roof, and she happened to be naked, and she happened to be beautiful, I'm guessing. But the king saw her and was like, whoa, man. Um, Invited her over for checkers, as I like to say, and then some things led to some more things, and you don't say no to the king. So we can't really blame Bathsheba. Because the king was like, "Mm mm-hmm, you and me, and what's she going to say? But she was married, and David knew that beforehand, And so David committed adultery, then he committed murder, and then he married Bathsheba. That's messed up. And the king, the Jesus, the Messiah, comes from that. Ruth. Ruth's my favorite. After service today, we're going to be doing a little adult adoption ceremony. Because Ruth is like this beautiful, beautiful um, picture of being a foreigner and getting to come into a family. Um, Naomi is the mom. Naomi and her husband have two sons, and there's a famine in Israel, so they leave, and they go to Moab, which is a place where they worship other gods, and they find some Moabite wives, which is bad, one each, um, and they both die, and the husband dies, and now they're stuck in this land, and she's a woman and a widow, so she has really no resources, so she's like, I got to go home, and they're like, we'll come with you. And she goes, no, like you're young, you can get remarried, you can have a new life, like you can be provided for, don't come with me. And the first wife, daughter-in-law is like, all right, see ya. And Ruth says, absolutely not. Your family is my family. Your God is my God. Your people are my people. I'm with you. And she becomes the great grandmother of the King David from the line of Jesus. These are, these are messed up situations. But if you come from a sketchy past, know that Jesus is big enough and his plan is far-reaching enough and inclusive enough that even if it's ugly, you can be included. Your family roots and your past do not, do not determine your future. 
A family that is, has no God in it has room for you. The, the, the person I wrote up there was my confirmation teacher. Not even part of my family. Just a woman that was in my life that actually was friends with my parents that lived out a genuine relationship with Jesus. And that's what it was for me. My parents are good. They're, they're great. But they didn't live it out like she did. Your family and your past do not determine your future. And Jesus says it. I mean, Matthew starts the point here and then encapsulates it in Matthew chapter 12, verse 48. Jesus is teaching. There's a huge crowd and the house is filled and his mom and his brothers come to get him because they think he's crazy. And they say, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside. What do you want us to do? Because family was like the inner circle. Family came before God. Family came before God in the Jewish faith. And what does Jesus say? He says, who's my mother? Who's my brothers? Those who do the will of God are my mother and my brothers and my sister. When Matthew says it's a new beginning, he is saying radical things. It's a new beginning. No longer does it come from origin or ancestry or this perfect pedigree of a perfect past. It comes from Jesus and him only. And if you do his will, you are in his family. And if you say yes to Jesus, you are in his tree. A beautiful, messed up tree. Where all the promises of David and all the promises of Abraham are ours not to gloat over, but to share with everyone else. That is the most beautiful, beautiful picture and the best place that I think we can begin as we talk about family. But, as Jesus said, who are my mother and my brothers? Only those who do the will of God. So, how do you decide that? It's only your decision. If you're young, your parents can't make that decision for you. If you're older, your kids can't make that decision for you. If you have a messed up family, and they tell you this is how you practice religion, they can't make that decision for you. Only you can make that decision for you. And that decision is really easy. It's found in John 1.12. It says, Those who believed in Jesus had the right to become his children. Very similar to Matthew 12, verse 48. Who are my mother and my brothers? Who's in my family? Those who do the will of God are in my family. And you can make that decision. And God wants you to be in his family. And no matter what your past is, it does not determine your future. So let's close in prayer. Sorry we went a little bit long. I got a little excited about this. Oh God, forgive us when we come to the Bible and we see a list of names and we think, why in the world is that in there? And we skip over it. Um, God, you so clearly say it's a new beginning. Allegiance to you through Jesus is family. Um, God, that's our hope. That's what we want to be as a church community, this, this fellowship called Restoration. We want to be people that acknowledge you, that live out a faith together. Um, we don't claim to come from perfect places, but you didn't either. You just say you're the legitimate king that'll take us out of exile. So, so God, I pray for people that are in exile, that feel like they're in jail, that feel like they're trapped because of their sin, or trapped because of their family, or trapped because of their relationships with family members um, that are bitter and angry and sad because of what they didn't get 
or what they got in the wrong way. I pray that as we continue through this series on family, you will heal. You will begin to do a work where we can understand what it means for you to be a perfect heavenly father, for us to find hope and freedom and redemption and, and our worth and our faith and our identity in you and you alone. So we submit ourselves to you, God, and some of us for the first time. We say, yes, Jesus, I want to do your will. I want to believe that you, have, you came as the legitimate king, that you died for my sins, and I will follow you. God, I pray that today our lives would be different because we understand what it means for you to be king. Um, So go with us, God. May we be a people that share that with others. May we be a people that says, I am in your family, and your family can be my family, and your God can be my God, and my God can be your God, and share that authentically with others because you've given it to us first. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit, amen.